Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. The first ever edition of the Andrew Curtis Show. Um, it turns out the way to get ahead in this business is to shamelessly self-promote. So the Andrew Curtis Show it is. Um, I thought before I got underway with my first ever guest, I'd give you a bit of a rundown on how the show came into being, uh, the genesis of it, what inspired it, and what I'm hoping uh, it'll do, not just for me, but for those of you uh, who are listening. So a bit of background on my story is that I've always loved to learn um, and have been looking for a way to share the things that I've learned for uh, a number of years. And one of the things that I did early on was look at what does it take to become the expert? Uh, sounds like a really inspiring goal at the beginning of a journey, um, but there's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. This will be your thing learned if you listen to nothing else of this podcast today. But the Dunning-Kruger effect basically says that you're more confident about something the less you know about it. Um, and then the more you learn, the more you start to go, maybe there's more to this than I thought. Uh, that was my journey with this, that as soon as I decided to start pursuing mastery on a whole bunch of topics, I realized that this was something that was too big for one person. So what was I going to do with that? Well, this podcast is kind of a response to that. Um, I have learned that there are a lot of people who have um, something to teach us. Uh, you know, a naive person looks for one person to teach them everything. Um, a fool says nobody can teach me anything. But um, a wise person, in my humble opinion, is somebody who says that everybody can teach me something. So the goal with this is really just to talk to interesting people, people who have a story to tell and have something that we can learn from. Uh, and I'd encourage you to, while you're listening, um, just be aware of kind of what you notice when these stories come up. Um, often when we listen to people talk, we're looking to how we would respond, what we, we would add, what we would say. Um, but real wisdom and insight comes from just being prepared to listen and being aware of what you notice about that story. What catches you? Um, what makes you respond emotionally? You might get angry. You might get sad. You might get happy. I don't know what it is. But either way, if uh, you can notice something uh, in you that responds to what you're listening to, um, follow where that leads you. And I think what it will hopefully do uh, is lead to a place where we're all a little more prepared to listen to one another and able to learn from one another too. So that's the goal. I want to talk to people in the arts. I want to talk to people in business. I want to talk to athletes uh, and, uh, well, all sorts. I'm not limiting myself, but that's enough preamble from me. So without further ado, thank you once again for tuning in and uh, let's get underway with our first ever guest on The Andrew Curtis Show. Okay, so for my first ever guest, I wanted to talk to a friend of mine who I have always greatly admired because of his commitment to the well-being of young people. Uh, he's worked as a youth speaker in New Zealand and Australia, uh, worked for a number of years also for Attitude, who are a not-for-profit who go into schools to talk about the big issues, uh, things like sex, drugs, alcohol, uh, cyber safety, bullying, those kind of things. Um, in recent months and years, he's become particularly committed to the cause of youth mental health and what he can do to help with that particular situation. So I really wanted to talk to him, um, but a bit of a disclaimer before we get into this. Uh, the audio quality is okay, um, but you had a special guest of uh, the fridge in the room where we were when we started recording this. So we're actually going to leap in um, after we'd actually been already talking for a couple of minutes and speak specifically to this topic of mental health for young people and just see where the conversation goes. Look, it was a really enjoyable conversation. We ended up talking for about an hour um, almost effortlessly. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and um, be interested to get your thoughts on it. I might chime in with a few words at the end of this as well. Um, but without further ado, here's Johnny Shannon. Okay, so talking about mental health, um, particularly for, for young people and in high schools, um, what was it that you observed when you were in high schools yourself, or maybe your own high school experience, either as a speaker or going back as a student, 
that made you aware that there was this lack in material or understanding around mental health? Yeah. Um, I, I remember being about 13, 14 years old, and it sounds very, very strange, but it's true. My mum was actually dating Tony Robbins at the time, the motivational speaker. And so I got um, a couple of free trips to Australia to do um, some Tony Robbins seminars. Yep. And one particular seminar was literally called um, the Millionaires Group Seminars. And so I got to hang out with a lot of people that were very, very wealthy. And for three or four days at a time, and I was by far the youngest person there, but something that really influenced me at that age, being 13, 14 years old, was the fact that very few of them had education, and a lot of them just hated high school. Mm. And it was the first time I've connected with adults with a similar, oh, aha moment, man, you get me. And realizing when I connected with these other people, they were all entrepreneurs, all business starters, and they'd been through the same struggles as I had been, yet when I, express those struggles to other students, most of them liked high school, most of them are doing well, and I started to realize, okay, maybe I'm a little bit more like these guys. Um, and the funny thing was that what the conversations they talked about that, that should have been expressed in high school was a lot more about investing, how to start businesses. Um, you know, a classic example in mental health or business or in school would be a lot of schooling, um, they believed that schooling systems were meant to set young people up for a win at life. And yet one of the biggest pieces of advice they can give, regardless of education, was choosing the right spouse or partner. Because mm, um, well. one of the biggest reasons for um, bankruptcy or going um, back five to six years financially was divorce or picking people, um, partners or business relationships or marriages um, when people ripped you off. And so little things like that started making me think, man, school really doesn't prepare you for a lot of the basics about life, which is relationships. Mm. Um, I mean, how, how would that look to you then? I mean, I guess perfect world when you're talking about that kind of information. Would they have yeah. psychology classes or relationship kind of things or what? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I know that Long Bay, they do basic psychology um, classes right up until uh, the second year, year 10. Yep. And then from that, you can pick it out as an actual course. So instead of doing it once a month, you can do it every week as a, as a course inside the school, which is, mm. again, amazing because they go through anything from how um, you know like books like how to win friends and influence people to how to connect with people properly um, to how to know different people's personality types which again helps us understand people and when there's understanding you like people more mm. when you like people more and understand people more people feel understood and they like you more and just when you go through some of these basics I mean you look at things like Time Magazine 55% of our happiness is relationships um, so that's the make or break of your life wow. is relationships and a big make or break of relationships is um, having some fundamentals of psychology now some students um, are naturally sanguine naturally outgoing they naturally get it they're they're nice to other people and you have that reciprocation that happens but just like any subject at school um, if you're not good at it you can learn and there's fundamentals you can learn and I think um, just like you have some kids that are naturally good at maths there should be um, classes for social skills and wow. not just social studies, but actual social skills in life. Hmm. It's interesting because that takes me back. I remember when I was like um, form one, form two. Yeah. So what's that now? Uh, year, I have no idea. It's like seven ago. or eight. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Um, Back when dinosaurs were the earth. Oh yeah, that's right. Man, I remember riding my triceratops to school. <laughs> those were the days. The velociraptors. Uh, I'll tell you yeah. what, you never got clamped though. <laughs> never got clamped. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but like, you, you know, I remember doing like um, 
uh, basically, I think they call it like technology classes, but it was like, you know, you do art, but you'd also do things like home economics and like yeah. sewing and yeah. like real basic kind of stuff like that, like those kind of skills. Yeah. Um, and then when you go to high school, you drop all that kind of quote unquote frivolous stuff <laughs> exactly. to just learn how to do like algebra instead <laughs> yeah. and go like, oh, wicked, great trade. That is such a good point. We drop all these things. And not only that, but all the teachers tell you when you get to high school that those are bum subjects and they don't take you anywhere. And you think, well, so? <laughs> you know, like, what if I like um, mending my clothes and how much would that cost you? I mean, I'm very, very few people are quote unquote the average size. I know for me when I buy a suit every time because I'm a little bit shorter, every time I have to get the hemp's cut up if i learned in high school how to do those basic things right the amount of accumulative money you would have saved along the way and uh not only that but you think the trades they're mm. getting so much better so mm. for instance, a lot of intermediates they'll do things like homework um, woodwork and metalwork um, a school like rangatoto college now does metalwork um, and even basic electronics right up until the last year of high school wow. and it actually counts as credits towards um, your qualification in tech Mm. And so in Unitech, so you go there, you might do two years, and then you go there and that's six months off your um, qualification once you enter the Unitech world. Mm. Which again, that's setting people up for a win. And I think uh, everything in my mind comes down to high schools should constantly be thinking to themselves, how can we set young people up, our young people, in their demographic, in their culture, mm. in their country, up for a long-term win. Mm. And that's different in every single um, location in New Zealand. There is. Um, a school down south who in the local area the principals connected with local businessmen and they found there's a massive shortage in um, a lot of farming developments and so now they teach um, horticulture as a basic level subject throughout the whole of high school to the mm. point that by every single time when someone finishes high school they all have a basic level certification in horticulture and there's an 85 to 90 percent guaranteed job wow. in that area if they want it. Wow. So they've all got a fullback and I think that sets people up for a win. It's that financial security. Yeah, I mean, look at my observation too. The, rec the advice and recommendations you get from high school tend to be very reactive mm. and possibly a year or two behind the market. Yes. Um, in that, I mean, I can think back to, you know, everyone was telling, being told to get um, IT degrees and things like that, like about 10, kind of 15 years ago. Uh -huh. And then it was, no, no, now, now it's all the trades. Oh, yeah. wait, no, now it's this other <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what's been your observation of that? Um, my observation is that in any given time of life, you should always be learning something else, uh, regardless of whatever it is. And so I've done, I did night school for four years, four mm -hmm. years in total. And then I, I ended up doing a couple of jobs where I was traveling so much I couldn't do that. But in one case, I, I continued to um, study by correspondence. Mm -hmm. um, now, as you know, I'm looking at either doing another, um, doing basic level coding. Because I, I think that you need... The job security market is so unsecure. You want to be learning in different things at all times, and you constantly want to be upskilling, mm. um, no matter where you're at. So, if high schools or um, adults wanted to install something into the young people, it would be this this lifelong journey of learning mm. and learning practical things. Mm. Yeah, we seem to want to give people a sense of stability that doesn't actually really exist. <laughs> you know, we go, hey, point. you should get this job. It's really great. Yeah. And then you go, oh, wait, 10 uh -huh. years from now, it doesn't exist anymore or, yep. you know, whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and of course, when those jobs fall away, 
it creates a huge amount of stress and pressure on people, mm-hmm. which is my really kind of sly segue into talking about mental health. Some sure. More. Um, yeah. So particularly when, in working with um, with young people, you observed this, uh, I guess, lack of, of support or understanding around mental health for young people. Mm-hmm. Now, some would be aware of places like Youthline um, that already exist along those lines, but yeah. you're thinking of something that's a little bit more proactive in that respect, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, things like Youthline is one of an organization that we've worked with so much in the past to the point that we were their number one go-to for advertising. We'll go into a local area, um, for instance, let's just say that's Wellington, we'd speak in all those schools over the course of three or four weeks, five presentations a day with four presenters. And by the end of that month, um, Youthline um, calls would go three to 400% um, mm. up on average. Wow. That's how much we advertise them, just to say that these guys are such a great point of call to talk to them about anything you're going through in life. And we really try to destigmatize uh, mental health to that extent. What we're trying to do though, is we're trying to um, help people um, develop awareness, um, assertiveness, and um, really think through a lot of their thought patterns of what they want to do and why they want to do it, whether it's relationships or careers, whatever it is, just to save them a little bit of pain so you know they don't have to go down a lot of the tracks that people before them have gone down and not necessarily like the end of. Mm. Is that is that sort of what you're talking about? I mean, obviously, what the stress side of things is the number one thing by far. Yeah. Um, when it comes to mental health within students in general, financial stress um, is the number two, according to the National Youth Survey, not within students, interesting enough, is the number one stress for students um, is not about themselves. It's actually about their parents not having enough money. Really? Yeah. What, so is, is that, that's the number one stress in New Zealand students right now. Wow. Is there, are there any kind of, um, in terms of like regions in the country, or is that just a universal that thing? That is a universal thing, and I think um, wow. the very fact that it is throughout the whole New Zealand, now this is called the National Youth Survey, um, I think it was 2003, 2007, 2013, interviewed over 9,700 students. They interviewed and re-interviewed them three times throughout their high school career. Wow. And there's, there's a thing called less than 2% intervals of change, which means that every time they re-interviewed them, there's a less than 2% change in the stats which basically means it's probably the most accurate study they've ever done um, in New Zealand Mm. and it has been used in the southern hemisphere by Australia and other psychologist groups around the islands as well um, as this base now the interesting thing about the stress thing is the number one um, it's very different in Australia the number one reason for stress in young people is schooling and academia but in New Zealand in terms of academic performance yeah academic performance um, most of the three major stresses for Australian students have all come up as being school related, okay. Um, either stresses um, with academics or sports, everything is revolved around school. The number one stress. Okay. Now, the number one stress in New Zealand students, however, is like I said, um, their parents not having enough money, and I personally think that a lot of that has to do with perception. Is do I have enough money, as much money as the person next door? Okay. And the reason I say that is because if it's the number one stress throughout the whole country. You can't just isolate it to one group of poor people or a poor yeah. side and go, oh, they're stressed out about money because this is happening in Remuera, this is happening in... Well, that's that's why Eden. I asked, yeah. That's I wouldn't want anyone to hear that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. Well, there's just very little differences between schools, which um, I'm actually in the process, it's been a long process of trying to develop um, a questionnaire and an app. So when I go into high schools, I get the individual um, students at different schools' responses to these questions. So you can really start fine-tuning this, but at the moment, it was a sporadic group of young people throughout the whole of New Zealand, 9,700, and number one was almost always um, stress and to do with finance with parents. 
so there's this over i mean you give me your thoughts but it seems like there's this overarching idea that my parents don't make enough money yeah yeah well i mean as you say i think that that perception side of things is very powerful as you were saying it i was trying to think what the (laughs) i mean I, i risk getting too high level with this kind of stuff but i do wonder about what the cultural messages are that are so common in New Zealand that are maybe not as common in Australia or vice versa that make you go well I don't know I mean do do they do Australian kids get the idea that hey it's all about your school performance and that sets you up for the rest of your life Uh, I mean I don't know I I wouldn't be surprised because I mean you look at uh, Australia as a general they do get paid a little bit more I think they Mm. um, their schooling systems do reedify the fact that there's a lot of people that try to come to Australia because the tax is a little bit more, the average wage is a little bit more. Um, How, how's this? Sorry, yeah, sure. one, one thought that I wondered as well is that the cost of living in New Zealand mm-hmm. has been well publicised for quite a yes. number of years that's been going up yes. to the point where, for example, you can't buy a house by yourself. That's a great, great thought. So yep. who's going to be more mindful? Because I've, I've thought for myself, look, I'm not going to be able to buy a house mm-hmm. without basically an inheritance from my parents yes which is a bit morbid but that's mm. kind of the way it that's is a lot of student, yeah a lot of people think that way. so home ownership in new zealand mm. still being such a mate that you might have hit it the nail on the head <laughs> you know, honestly because yeah. you look at something like sydney and my experience is because i speak in mainly in sydney now 90 percent of my talks are there mm. you speak to your average sydney student um or australian student in general and they're about hey i'm fine with renting for the rest of my life it's oh. almost like this accepted thing um, because it is so expensive there, supposedly Auckland, Sydney and New York are all on par when it comes to how much we earn versus mm. how much our property prices are. Right. And so you think they're three of some of the worst places in the world when it comes to that. I mean, you can look at poor places like even India, um, and they reckon that generally with three to four years of your average wage, you can buy a home. Right. So even though it's very poor, your wage to owning a home is still very little in comparison to New Zealand, Australia, which is I think 15 to 25 wow. years. But I wouldn't be surprised if Australia, they've, they've accepted the fact and they're very open to the fact that they, um, they mm. just live in smaller houses, they rent for the rest of their life and that's fine, versus New Zealand. You and must own a house. Oh, yeah. We've always been taught that. The New Zealand dream is to have your own house and not even an apartment, but house. Yeah. With your own little white fence and yeah. your, your dog and your two and a half kids. And yeah. You get good luck. <laughs> like, like, and I say that as like an encouragement, like, yeah, good luck. But yeah. I mean, especially yeah. Auckland. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of the other places, but mm. um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a huge thing for stress. And then you've got a lot of parents trying to act like they have a lot more money. I used to do this, um, work with this charity group called Grandparents um, Raising Grandchildren. Oh, yeah. And it was a fantastic charity, but the saddest thing, this is like, we're talking Oriwa, we're talking um, Albany, mm. talking North Shore. These grandparents that didn't have enough money to raise these kids, they have these beautiful homes, and you walk in there to give them these food hampers and training on how to raise these kids, and they've got no furniture, no TV, no anything, but they have this beautiful home. And you think, this does not match up. And I'm talking hundreds of grandparents raising grandchildren and mm. um, will have a couch and maybe a small tv to their name sometimes not even having white whiteware in suburbia first class society and it, wow. they've got a harder goal but even from a young age helping out with this charity you started to see they care so much about what people think of them Whoa. they do not want to downgrade they do not want to move out of the area yet they still have this obligation to want to help their grandchildren or kids for whatever reason. Wow. And so you've got these people living in beautiful areas with 
next to no living yeah it's yeah it's, it's mind-boggling and again yeah again if that runs in the grandparents and the parents see that as well then it, it obviously gets passed down the line right so yeah i mean yeah. The it's um you know can i have as much as the next door neighbor yeah but to think that um it's not just a youth issue then is it though that's the point mm. i was sort of mm. getting at is if kids are getting this pressure most of pressure including bullying mm. um, most pressure most stress is actually um brought on us yeah. by our home environments right and so you see your parents stressing out about something now you're stressed out about something and often it's not even necessarily a particular thing but it's a vibe it's an atmosphere of the home that they end up bringing and so if they get home and their parents are constantly talking about the bills or how expensive things certain things are and the kids are around that environment they're going to start picking up on that as well Okay, so the last thing that I wanted to really touch on, in fact, to be honest, probably the main reason I wanted to talk to you um, today was particularly around this initiative you've got with a book that you're putting together yeah. um, based on the results of the National Youth Survey. Mm -hmm. And that is on the seven top mental health issues for high schools. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So t tell me a little bit about that. Well, what I started to get a little bit frustrated to say the absolute least was when I was going into Australian high schools mainly, and I'll be speaking to the principal, the deputy principal, and often the, the health coordinator. And it's like a job interview. Every time you speak to a high school, you have to meet up with all the key personnel. Hang on a second, they've got a health coordinator. <laughs> yes, the they do. Really? Yeah, Australian high schools do. Yeah. Wow, okay, all right. Not so much New Zealand high schools. Wow. But Australia generally has a health budget. They've also got um, budget for outside speakers to come in. Uh -huh. Now, again, because they're speaking to the students, um, they're very motherly and fatherly over the students. They want to make sure you're not an absolute nutcase. Yeah, so you generally enough. have to get signed off by all three people. And so every time I speak to a new high school, I'll generally meet up with those uh, three people. Now, out of all the high schools I've done in Australia, during the interview, they interview me, but I also interview them to see what maybe some of the, the issues are in the mm. high school. And nine times out of ten, one of the questions I'll end up asking them um, to figure out their knowledge is I'll ask them, what do you think the major issues are with uh, mental health issues are with students in Australia? And I'm yet to get one mental health coordinator come back to me and say, even two out of the top 10 correct really <laughs> yes it's usually they'll say bullying which is a subsidiary but at, at, at the top but it's not the top 10 usually it's say, not in the top 10 no it's not it's um bullying is not a, sorry i want no, to it's in, the, so in it's, new zealand in new zealand as well bullying is no, not in, the top in new 10. zealand it's in the top 10 i think it's number nine and it's okay. like about but still like 11. Um, wow okay yeah. yeah so for instance you you would think that um that mental health coordinators and just people working in high schools would immediately say stress and anxiety. Okay. And now I'm yet to hear someone say stress and anxiety. Now, the re repercussions of massive stress and anxiety or hate or any of those things can be bullying because often that's people's um, relief valve mm. is to hurt somebody else when they're hurting. Hurting people hurt people. Yeah. But something just started really grinding my gears was the fact that a lot of people, if not nearly all of them, um, couldn't give me solid answers to a very basic question in my mind. And so I wanted to put a very basic book together and I'm going to be adding to it over the next year doing a whole bunch of interviews with psychologists and counsellors and mental health coordinators but I really wanted to just lay it out to play it out and say these are the top seven mm. just because seven seems to be the, the longest number <laughs> of points of psychology that we can actually remember. Okay, yep. Um, the top seven major mental health issues in Australia and these are the best practices um, and proven ways to help someone through one of these issues and 
um, this is where to go for further help. Wow. And I just wanted to just make it as plain as possible. So next time I interview these counselors or principals and I say to them, what are the big issues in Australia? They can say, hey, it's stress, anxiety, body image, depression, addiction, suicide, discrimination, emotional abuse. And they just list it off and you go, cool. At least we're getting, wow. we're educating even the um, educators on these basic principles. Well, cool. Can we can we touch on each one of those points then as we go yeah. along? Um, so, so you said the first one is, is stress and anxiety, is that? Yeah, well, it's basically stress and the second one's anxiety. Now, anxiety in most cases is just the, a, a deeper level of stress. Sure. Um, is, is this directly connected because i would look at that and think i'm stressing over if i'm a kid stressing over exams or stressing mm. over body image or stressing over that but this is a, a, a distinct stress or anxiety independent of those things like how how's that now it's up? not always independent it's um i think what's happened with our youth culture is that we've allowed stress to become uh, a quality that is actually quite looked upon as um as being good. Wow. <laughs> it's one of those things where if you meet up with someone and say, hey, how's your week been? And if someone says, oh, it's been so busy, been so flat out, you go, oh, I respect that. Wow. Versus if you talk to someone and say, oh, how's your week that been? That is so true. Oh, I've just been hanging out, just enjoying life. You go, oh, you loser, do something with your life. It is though. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so we've... Um, I'm and struggling to find anything more articulate than wow, but that is so <laughs> accurate. Like, you're so true. Like, yeah, sorry, you're well, talking. Well, again, it's most of the things are uh, emulated by our parents. So kids get home and, you know, your mum or dad might get home really late from work. They might be working 40, 50, 55 hours a week. Mm. And they get home and they see the kid playing computer games and de-stressing over a stressful day at studying and, you know, learning five different subjects. Mm. And there's a reason, you know, school days are only six hours because it's always new content. So your brain's constantly just getting hammered by new information. And you get a dad or a mum that comes home from long hours of work, 10 hours of work, and they think they've done more than the student. And they come home and they see them playing computer games. Or Hang on, talk. speak to that for a second. They think they've done more than the student. I think so. Tell me, I, tell me about this. Well, I've done a lot of, I've done over a hundred parenting nights. And a lot of the times when I speak to parents, mm. when they speak about their children, it's always, most nine times out of 10 is loving. Because I mean, hey, if you didn't love your kids, you probably wouldn't be at a parent night. <laughs> Um, Touche. Yeah, so they're already doing a great job. And I, I, I tell them that at the very get-go. Look, you know, the hardest thing about doing parent nights is the fact that 90% of you are always great parents. Because mm. you're here, you're trying to learn. Well, all of them are. Yeah. Um, but when they speak about their students, often it's from this point of they're not doing enough. Wow. And See, there's the wow again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, and I, I just think it's a, it's a breeding ground, almost like a virus for stre um, stress and anxiety. Because you, you can't see getting home. And often parents come from a generation where they wish they did more. Okay. Or um, the parents are, live, are working 50, 55 hours a week and they wish they could do sports or they wish they could spend more time with their friends or they haven't right. worked it out like a good relationship with their wife or their partner in a way that they can't have set nights out every week to, you know, get their emotional full or um, whether that's a hobby or spending time with friends. Okay. And because they don't have that, they stress that to the student who in a school environment, they already have most of those fields. They're already learning new information. They already have a couple of subjects out of six of them they already like. They're already doing sports. So they get home and out of that um, frustration or, or not, and wanting the right um, thing for the kids and you know being stressed out about money and finances and wanting the best for the kids, they put a lot of pressure on students to do more or right. you know, why are you playing computer games? Computer games is the biggest <laughs> thing that I get moaned to about. Yeah. Um, which again is fascinating because it's, yeah, to get home from a hard day of work and see someone playing computer games, um, 
they think they're not doing anything with their life, which in often sense, it's a stress relief. Yeah. So often it's because they've done so much that day, they actually want a bit of disconnection. Right. Or even, you know, if we're coming back to these topics as well, uh, that sense of escaping from mm. whatever the mental health issues are that they're dealing Ab- with. Absolutely. Well, for instance, gaming... Um... And just just for the record, by the way, I'm not saying if anybody's gaming, they've necessarily got mental health issues. <laughs> no, just, no. You know, but... it's, it's, it's like anything. If you're using it for the right means, it's actually not that bad for you at all. If it becomes wow. a... Do you want to speak to that for a sec? Actually, yeah. that's, that's a really powerful point. Yeah, well, so it's like um, any drug. I mean, you can have um, half a glass of wine and half the studies show with most blood types it's actually not that bad for you, if not good for you. Now, if you start to have a lot more than that and drink a lot and it become, you become dependent on it, right. that's when it becomes an addiction where it's actually starting to do harm to your body. Um, and one of the causes of addiction is two things. One is supposed to be connection. And the other one is not sorting out the actual issue. So you're trying to numb the pain because you already know what you're meant to be doing. Sure. Whether that's you're meant to be doing something different in a relationship, whether that's you've done something wrong, your conscience is battling with your head, um, whether it's you're meant to be studying or um, there's too many things going on in your life right now. Instead of hitting that directly, you're looking for escapism. It's a bit too much at the moment. I just want something to numb the pain. Right. And that becomes the alternative. That's when it becomes an addiction or that's when it could become bad. So even video games... Hey, if you're playing video games and you're connecting with your mates and it's maybe an hour or two a day, um, you know, again, studies show it's four to six times better for you than watching TV. Seriously? Yeah. So the... the con- which, do you know which study that was? Just off the top of your head? I can find it for you at the very end if you I'm, like. I might, try, I, might try, I might try and link that if, if we can. Yeah, well, if you go, yeah. if you type in the positive aspects of gaming, TED Talk, yeah. um, there's a girl that speaks um, talks about it and okay. she talks about how... She researched, I think it was 150 people, and yeah. 75 of them had never played video games before, 75 of them um, had gamed, and they're all different ages and stages of life. Yeah. They found that people that played video games on average two hours a day had 20% um, better eyesight, huh. and better, um, better cognitive dissonance, which is when you're thinking about something or you want your hand to react um, or reflect in a certain way, i.e. you might be driving down the road and someone jumps out of the road, your reaction speeds are a lot faster when you have those cognitive um, functions. Okay. And the reason being is when you're playing a video game, your eyes are linked in with your hands because you have a controller and you're sure. constantly looking out and your, your brain is constantly lit up under neuroscans. Versus a TV program, you watch it, you can phase out for 20 minutes, you can be talking <laughs> to a friend, you can jump back, jump back into it, and your brain's literally mush. It's someone else's thinking for you. And so again, this classic example is you'll, you'll get parents, and again, um, technology is what um, my by far the biggest thing I get asked to speak to about parents. And one of the first things I tell them is, um, video games aren't actually that bad. If if you were to look at a study that showed it's four to six times better, can you imagine a parent watching two movies back to back? That's four hours. Well, collectively, that's that's sixteen hours of video games. So. Uh, for there's no difference i mean and again i've heard so many parents say, i just rather my kid be watching tv really literally those quick those things i'd rather my kid be watching tv and it's because that's what they got brought up with and they think that's more acceptable they think that oh, i remember when i went to school and i go to school and reminisce to my friend about you know the series that was on last night or would have a conversation about it well that's fine but kids these days <laughs> You know, yeah. 90% of students that are in the high school play video games regularly, which is classes once a week. Yeah. 90%. And so that's what they react about. And the great thing about it is they're connecting online in most cases anyway. Well, that's true. The online gaming communities mm. and things like that are, are a whole new 
development, um, which to be honest, I'm already thinking the next time we do this, uh, we might go into that kind of stuff, but specifically then to these top issues. So we're talking yeah, about stress, stress, stress yeah. and anxiety, right? Yeah. So what, what's, what's the third one that's come up? So I'll, I'll just give, give you a quick answers of um, stress, stress and anxiety. Yeah. Students said in the, uh, in the poll that over 43% um, of them was coping with stress is their major disorder, um, self-professing. 38% um, of those said it was study problems. And um, basically, if you put stress and anxiety together, mm. like if you combine the two top ones, because stress and anxiety are separate, but yeah. if you combine those two, which are very closely related, over 81% of students are saying that that's their major concern in life. So not relationship, just stress wow. and anxiety in general. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, exactly what shows up for me with that is, mm. is that usually if I was to talk about stress or even for myself, mm. I would intuitively connect that with something. So to have a sense of I am stressed because, mm. as opposed to an ambient kind of low level hum of I am just broadly stressed. Yeah. Like I experience this constant ambient anxiety. Yeah. That blows my mind. I think so too. I think so too. And most of it's to do with coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, coping mechanisms are not taught much in high school. Um, I've only been to two or three where they've actually done like presentations on how to cope with stress. Uh-huh. Um, stress can help us. There is good stress. There is like, I talk about it as being a bow and arrow. Um, you have a goal or a target, which is the bullseye. And to hit that target, you have to put a bit of stress on your bow. You have to stress it back. Right. And you release it and you can hit your target. That might be a little bit of stress, like a date for an exam that's coming up or a date for a due by assignment or a little bit of stress from your mom or your dad or your parent to say, get your act together and do this. A little bit of stress is good for us and we operate actually, it's been proven, we operate actually a little bit better under a very small amount of stress. Okay. But the big stress, when it turns into anxiety, when it turns into panic attacks, when it turns into mental breakdowns, which I've literally seen my social studies teacher back in my um, old school have a, a, a mental breakdown right in front of us, oh. which is interesting because he was actually speaking about this topic the week prior. Wow. Um, what happens there <laughs> is when you put so much stress on it, so much... Um, intention and mm. you put so much stress on your mind of what you believe and where you believe you should be in the certain areas of life mm. um, which is an, a lot of times when you break it down aren't realistic for most students and it's like you put in the stress on this bow and you keep putting so much stress on it it actually breaks yeah and just like I mean all mental health issues it's, it's just like having a break of a bone or breaking yourself physically if you don't sort it out if you don't see a professional if you don't give yourself time and um, you know TLC, if you don't give yourself a little bit of uh, stepping back from the situation, if you don't give it time to heal, it can actually cause long-term damage. Wow. And it's been proven, proven time and time again, whether it's a broken bone and you don't go snap it back in, whether it's having um, you know, a panic attack and then not seeing someone for what the real causes and issues of them are. Sure. When they come back, often they come back twice as strong. Wow. Yeah, panic attacks are like heart attacks. When they come back, there's twice as likely to come back and then twice as likely to be twice as strong. See, because that, even that whole dialogue around panic attacks and things mm. like that is, is completely new. I mean, I'm, I'm broadly aware yeah. that they exist yeah. for people. Um, but that sense of fear, uh, I, I've observed, um, and even in some of the reading that I've done, even through in, in the business community, yeah. um, guys like, say, even Simon Sinek, uh, you might have been aware of, he came, yeah, came to fame again with a big TED talk, but yeah. one of his more recent books talks about how we live in a culture of fear or anxiety in our work now as well. Constantly. <laughs> uh, that not only are we afraid of what could happen externally in our workplaces, mm -hmm. but we're afraid also in a relational context of even what our managers or team leaders, our those who are supposed to be looking after us will do. Yeah. And then what our colleagues are going to do. Yeah. So 
to think that you are going from a high school environment mm -hmm. where you're afraid of that <laughs> and then to it's, a work environment it's it's dog eat dog and our culture has gone so backwards since the, after the second world war after the first world war when we've developed that structure of education where you're fighting for one another to be better than one another and even exam marks you know they've, they've gone from 50 percent was a pass to now oh, we only let certain people pass, and that's based on the average. So if the average was 60%, now 60% is a pass. Wow. You're no longer doing an educational system <laughs> where it's you have a certain um, curriculum you have to learn. It's are you better than half the nation? And that's just dog eat dog. And you look at, that's not, that's not happy. And stress and anxiety but hang on, is Johnny, <laughs> isn't that life? Aren't we, aren't we raising our children to be a bunch of wusses if we just give them all a... <laughs> well, it depends on the starting point. If you want to go, hey, you've got to be better than everybody else. Absolutely. That's a great point to do. But if you don't grab the average student aside and say, do you want to be, do you want to be better than half the, the nation at mathematics? And your average student has no motivation, no inward pressure mm. to fight the outward pressure of society of why would I even want to be good at that that's when you have a deficit disorder so outward pressure versus inward pressure when it comes to stress is like a submarine you have a certain amount of stress or pressure on the inside of the submarine so it can go a certain depth without crushing yeah. now if you don't have that internal motivation that internal drive in other words hey um, like for me I wanted to get into the police force they said that I had to have basic mathematics and English as a pass Okay, I had a certain amount of pressure, a certain amount of stress, and a certain amount of motivation to want to pass those two subjects. I did not need um, teacher's motivation to study those two subjects, even though I was very bad at them. Um, I also ended up passing because I had internal motivation. But what we often do is we give this huge external motivation, oh, you just need to do this, just need to do this, with no real asking questions and logical right. conversation with students about where they want to go and what they want to do and a classic conversation that is meant to help a lot of stress is this thing of what do you actually want to do okay cool you want to be a police officer that means you don't need to be good at 99 percent of these subjects <laughs> well that's a huge amount of pressure yeah, on the student you can fail uh, geology <laughs> no, it's true <laughs> yeah but what we try to do at high school is you got to huh. pass everything and be good at everything it's like no, you don't. Wow. You you said wow me so many like... times. Like you blow my mind in so many good ways. This is this has been awesome. Well, you just... There's probably parents listening to this going, I was gonna get my kids to listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Now no. Classic because no. no. I, I spoke at the Vodafone Leaders Arena, which is the largest combined high school event in the whole of New Zealand. Yep. They get leaders and teachers from all around New Zealand to fly up to Auckland to go at the Victor Arena. Hmm. And they said, Would you speak about something? And I literally spoke about gifts and talents. And the reason I spoke about it is because I think the best advice you can give a student, especially when they're early on, to build their character, their self-esteem, mm. um, especially in their identity, because a large amount of your self-esteem identity comes from what can I master? Yeah. So there's three pillars to building self-esteem, which is the number one um, way to get around stress and anxiety. Um, so the three pillars are, can I master something? Mm. Um, how do I perceive others perceive me? And how do I perceive my future? Right. And so if you can, number one, get people to get good at a topic, at anything, mm. when they become good at something, they feel like they're the leader, that they feel like they're the top in the group at this particular group, even if they're just top 1% in the nation. In other words, you find a student who's naturally quite good at art or painting, but he sucks at maths, uh, you know, science and um, geometry. If you tell that student, hey, let's just focus on this for now and just look at getting maybe a degree later on in the future or getting a career in the art industry, mm. that gives them a huge amount of self-esteem, like, I am good at this. I'm getting 80, 90% of right, this. Right. I don't mind if I'm getting 30, 40% <laughs> at maths or English because that's not my career path. 
that's a huge amount of pressure to put off someone. And I, I actually spoke and said this to a good friend of mine, Roy Allen, mm. who was at Westlake Boys at the time. This is um, 14 years ago. And he went to the principal at the time with this concept. This was before I was even studying mental health. And he actually flea bargained a deal with the principal at the yeah. time. And the principal actually said to him, now this is a true story, you only have to come to school for two of these subjects. And he was so good at painting, uh, was painting and photography, yeah. that the principal literally said to him his last year of high school, if you only focus on these things and you're getting 99 to 100% at these two subjects, I don't mind if you go home for the rest of the day. Wow. And why? <laughs> because the principal wanted to be known as a, another scholarship came through. Oh, another oh. scholarship came through. And sure enough, by the end of the year, Roy Allen got a scholarship from um, Auckland University in two different art subjects. <laughs> and I thought there's just a, such a classic example, which I've used this story a lot because I've gone, here's a guy who, he was getting 90% because he didn't have to focus on other subjects whatsoever. He could master this one thing. And people play, pay a lot of money for a 10 out of 10 in some area. Yeah. People will stand in line for a nine, they'll wait for an eight, but they'll pay a lot of money for a 10 out of 10. And so one of the yeah. best pieces of advice to get through um, stress and anxiety is number one, find out what you're naturally good at. And think to yourself, what am I naturally a six or a seven out of ten at. If that's speaking, awesome, do speaking. If that's English, do English related topic. If whatever it is, find out what you're naturally good at because you can generally, as John Maxwell says, go up three numbers in any particular topic. Um, one's through 10,000 hours of training, one's through basic mentoring, and one is through just practicing and um, continual study. Wow. And so if you find a student who's stressed out of their mind, I mean, I can think of two students off the top of my head that I was speaking to their parents a little while ago. And one particular one, they said they're doing really, really well. They're getting straight A's and I don't know why my kid's stressed out. And you're going, <laughs> straight A's in six different subjects and you're wondering why your kid's stressed out. <laughs> like, are you here listening to yourself? I think one of the best pieces of advice would be to go back to that kid and go, what naturally do you like? Yeah. Okay, these two. All right, how about we just focus on these two and, and we pull back a little bit on these other subjects. And to some parents... If they were to hear that and go, oh my goodness, that just hurts my ears to think about getting a lesser grade in a couple of other ones, um, chances are you're the one putting stress on your kid. Boom, in your face. <laughs> it's true though. It's true. Well, you were saying that, I was thinking, look, that would be, if you're feeling anxiety about that, it's, it's coming from, I mean, that's another thing to look at, I suppose, with mental health, that really, um, we experience life through the lens of our own thinking. Yes. Uh, and so... I mean, that's probably a deeper topic to get into another time, but certainly if you've got a parent who's stressing over... Well, it's external pressure versus internal pressure. Yeah, if, if that yeah. parent has had a conversation with the kid and said, this is the route, and it's completely acceptable to do this amount of hours and this amount of study, and you still got to have a social life and downtime, um, and they put pressure off, that they, they might not have a... They, they legitimately, they might not have a kid that gets straight A's in every subject. Yeah. But... I'm so aware that somebody listening to this is like, this is two guys with no kids telling me what to do. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, yeah, it is. But so, the, the other yeah. side of things with me is that I'd like to think that I'm, I'm the person in the middle. So yeah, I, cool. I would say at a parenting seminar that, hey, I, I do not have kids. Mm. And uh, I have been a kid and I spend 40 hours of my week in high schools. Hmm. And there are very few jobs, jobs or occupations which would allow someone to go to a new high school nearly every day of the week hmm. and be speaking to literally hundreds of thousands of students. Hmm. And to see such direct parallels and similar similarities um, of stress and anxiety in like, you know, every second to third kid, yeah. you start going, okay, there's some patterns here. And when you start digging a little bit deeper than nine times out of ten, it, it is from home. 
Yeah, it is. Cool. Um, I'm just aware of how long this conversation's gone already, and we haven't even touched on the other five points. <laughs> so why don't we why don't we smash through those, yeah, man? Great. Um, but this has been. Cool. I, I well, think I will I'm, have to go through and edit all my wows out because no, that's like fine. My mind about well, I'm glad times. we went through number one because the number yeah. one and number two is um, stress and anxiety. Eighty-one yeah, okay. percent of kids are going through it. Um, two out of three say it's their their biggest life concern is not knowing how to cope with their stress or anxiety. Yeah. Okay. So what's number three? Okay, number three. Um, probably. One of the biggest ones is, uh, number three specifically, is body image. Okay. And the interesting thing, uh, there's a couple of things about body image which I found very interesting. It's number three in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. Um, And the interesting thing is 31% of students say one of their big concerns in life is, or one of their number three things in life is their body image. Now, interesting enough, um, over 63% of Australians are overweight. <laughs> so you, you go, that's not too bad. If 31% of Australian students are saying it's one of their big concerns, yeah. but 63 are obese, it's literally classes right. obese, unhealthy, huh. or overweight. It's not actually as bad as we probably think. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. totally get that. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, half of them are overweight, and like, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, so, which makes me think from a logical point of view. Because obese, just, just sorry, just for <laughs> yeah. the, from a point of view of, of people listening as well. Because when you're obese, it's it's when it's overweight to the point of negatively affecting your health, right? Correct. Like that's what obesity is defined as. Correct. Sorry. So, yep. So carry on. So uh-huh. hang on. Again, just for myself. So yep. that means half the people who are overweight to the risk of their own health are fine mm-hmm. with it. Exactly. So that's what I think. So from again, from a mental Whoa. health point of view, you go, wait a sec, you have negative feelings, which is causing stress or anxiety about a particular thing. Now, most of the time, as we've talked about before, um, when you have a feeling, a feeling is derived by a thought. Mm. And often those thoughts are negative or untrue, but often those thoughts are um, positive and they actually are true or they are empowering. I'd rather say empowering versus positive or negative. They're either empowering or disempowering. Wow. Now, if a student is getting a thought that, hey, I feel bad about being overweight, um, you could perceive that two ways. You could say, oh, that's so bad. No, you're not. Or you could say, yes, that is true. Wow. (laughs) It is. It's true. Yeah. Okay. And maybe that's not a bad thought to have. Maybe that's actually an empowering thought, depending on how you interpret it. Because we do suppress negative. Sorry. Oh, we do. One thing I've noticed is that we, um, we are very uncomfortable with being challenged on anything. Mm. Um, and we tend to have, this is my observation Mm -hmm. that we've almost got the social contract going on right now across the board for adults, but for young people as well. That says, I tell you what, I won't criticize anything about you <laughs> yeah. if you don't criticize anything about me. Uh-huh. And if anybody does, we'll jump them like the schoolyard bully and beat <laughs> yeah. the crap out of them. And start bullying the bully. Yeah, yeah. Like, how dare you, you hateful, horrible human being, uh-huh. for being so hateful? Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, you're just speaking the truth. Uh, and in some cases, people will even ask for it, like right. legitimately ask for it. Right. Um, so that's a bit of a concern, not a concern to the extent that I lose sleep over it, but that's a bit of an anomaly where you think, hey, 31% of people. Okay. I think um, that's a bad thing. <laughs> how, how's, how's that divided like gender, along gender lines as well? Do we know that? Um, yeah, so 71% of people that are overweight in Australia, and it's very similar to New Zealand, are men, and 56% are women. Um, Hang on, that, so 71%? 71% uh, are men. 
Seventy-one percent of men. Yeah. Oh, are overweight. Yeah, are overweight or obese. Uh, whoa. Yeah. Then now it's overweight or obese. Obese Still. is obviously another level of being overweight. Sure. Um, now fifty-six percent of women are obese or overweight. Okay. And when now this that says children, but it doesn't include teenagers because once um, your teenager your class is an adult in the study. Yeah. But twenty-seven percent of children. Okay. So you can see when thirty-one percent of teenagers are saying, right. you know, they have a negative body image. It's it it probably is based on reality. Huh. Now, mental health is a big part of. It's not um, just pos- just positive psychology. A lot of that has to do with it. But if reality is telling you that you're overweight and you have a bad self-image, it's it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's po- that's positive psychology. That's it. if you feel that hey, I'm overweight, and you look at yourself and you are overweight. That's truth. Now, if you use this that as... This is awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. deliberately didn't want to say anything because like, this is like... Okay, yeah, keep going. Well, if you look at yourself and say, no, I am overweight and I feel bad about that, that's great. I mean, uh, look at it from a different point of view. Now, because obviously sometimes we have people's images that come up in our head and we think, no, I don't want to talk about this. But think about it from this. If, um, if I hurt somebody and I feel bad about it, yeah. that's a good thing. Right. If I hurt somebody and don't feel bad about it, I'm you're a psychopath. psychopath. <laughs> you are. It's a dictionary yeah. definition of a psychopath. So you start yeah. going, okay, that's when you're clinically, um, you have actual mental health issues. You, sure. You're mentally disabled. Sure. sure, sure. And so for a whole bunch of students to be like, yeah, I'm overweight, but half of them be like, I'm fine with that. You go, uh, <laughs> I think the people that aren't fine with it are in a better state because they're more likely to do something about it. That's amazing. What, what about that? We probably should speak to the fact that you do still end up with, uh, you know, we generally think of girls, uh, mm. but who become, say, bulimic or anorexic. Yes. How, so, so is, how does that this, this is my concern when it comes to the body image side of the thing. It's a, the, the thing about half them don't care would um, or don't think they have an issue with it. Um, is good and bad but the other side of it is I'm assuming that the study didn't show us but from my knowledge I also know that there's going to be a large amount the top 5% and the bottom 5% which was um, on the overly healthy aspect side of things which they're gym junkies or they're taking things that are very bad for them Um, you know like the recent one in America where you got this kid that's taking you know three times the recommended amount of um, pre-workout which basically is designed to make your heart go very, very fast to make workouts a lot easier. And you start getting these kids that are having heart attacks at 23 and 24 in America. Uh, it's pretty scary. At the same time, that's like, you know, you're talking one in 10 million students. So it's not uh, really an issue in the scale of things. It's, it, actually, when you say that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it sounds horrible when you, when you break people down into just numbers yeah. like that. Yeah. But if you consider the number of lives that are damaged by... This is going to sound cold as for anybody yeah. listening, but you know, just for the sake of argument, I'll play devil's advocate. Yes. If you think of the number of lives that are damaged by obesity and eating too much, yes. versus the number of lives that are damaged by working out too much or not eating enough, yeah. On the scope of what's damaging Bad? our culture more, absolutely. I'd far <laughs> rather have the te- the pendulum the other way. Whoa! All right. Well, because we give such Send complaints negative... too. This well, is great. No, because you've got to break it down. I actually yeah. spoke to one of New Zealand's top psychologists about three days ago. As you know, I won't say the guy's name, but yeah. I was interviewing him, and he talked about the amount of pride that's in the gym about people just looking at themselves in the mirror. Yeah. And you go, oh, he said that. Look, he would never be doing that. He just thinks that's disgusting. But I think, well, that's fine. <laughs> the other side of things, I'd rather kids be more proud of their body and take pride in their body because a lot of those, you right. know, even the young guys, a lot of them are eating, 
chicken and vegetables and brown rice three times a day and they're 10 times more healthier than people that are a little bit obese but i think as a society we hassle people and we cut down people that look a little bit better than most of us huh. because they're an easy target and we know deep down that they're actually a lot more secure huh. and we've done this complete reverse in the bully theology of things of um so psychology of things we don't want to hassle people that are big or um you know blatantly unhealthy because we know that that's actually a pressure point and we've had the last 10 years of this reverse bullying of the, you can't touch those people huh uh, but again, it's it's up to the person if they think they have a negative uh, body image. Now, I will speak to the, the mass majority because, in all honesty, the mass majority of um, bad body image does come from mass media. Mm. Uh, it does come from students that spend, you know, on average, uh, eight hours a day on media devices. So your average New Zealand student, for instance, will have eight hours of screen time a day and... Which is interesting because your average student only has about six hours spare when you're minus um, School. schooling. But that's because we have double double screens. You're watching TV while you're in front of a computer, while you're on a cell phone. <laughs> yeah, cool. So you just have huge amounts of media coming into your head. And, you know, people publicizing, obviously the same old, same old, it's nothing new. People publicizing good looking people on TV all the time. Sure. And half the time, these good looking people are eating McDonald's or having a Coke where that's not being <laughs> you, know, you go down to the gym and most people are drinking water and eating healthy yeah you just uh, the, the the images we get portrayed is just not accurate wow that's so interesting that, that that's awesome um we've got like five minutes man so yeah. do you want to just quickly touch on what those remaining topics are and maybe yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about those um, time. number four is depression okay. now depression in a um has become a lot more well known um in the mental health um has become a lot more aware of. Like, for instance, in 2011, it was less than 12% of Australian students believed it was a problem at all. Sure. And um, now in 2016, less than five years later, over 20% of Australian students believe it's one of the major problems. Okay. One in five Australians uh, will experience depression, with one in 16 currently being affected. Yeah. Uh, chances are you will know someone that's going through depression. Now, the big one with depression, and again, uh, they... Tony Robbins probably illustrates it. Now, when people think of Tony Robbins, they think of him as being um, this big motivational guy. Now, he has his own school of uh, theology and books on sorry on psychology that actually have to be studied for you to have a mainline psychology degree in America. Huh, okay. So he's, he is a credible source. But the one thing I like about that when coming with depression is he says, hey, let's not just label it with depression because us as human beings, we grab a label and then to understand the label, we often contrast it. So, for instance, I'll say, hey, this water is hot. In comparison to what? Well, I also know what cold water is. Sure. So we know what is hot by what is cold. The sad thing with a lot of these labels, like depression, is often people don't know what the opposite of depression is. If I was to say to you, um, hey, I have depression, and how do we get you out of that? Often we look for the opposite, and most people think it's happiness, and it's not. Hmm. The opposite of depression is not happiness according to neuroscans the opposite of depression is actually to feel in control hmm. and so therefore um, if you have someone that's going through depression one of the best most empowering questions you can ask a student or friend or adult that's going through depression is um hey when's the last time you felt in control or hmm. to write out the different areas of life just to give them uh, some um, some quantifiable amounts of what areas of life they're going through and which area of life is actually out of order. Sure. And a great way of doing that is to say, hey, is it work? You know, is it relationships? Is it spirituality or your purpose? Um, is it romantic relationships? 
is it a sense of progression and actually write those out and say which one of these actually is it and how what can we do about it to feel more in control now again psychologists say the number one thing you can do to get someone out of depression is actually to give them a notepad a notepad a notepad i love it and just <laughs> just wrote write down yeah. a list write down a list not only write down how you're feeling about certain things because that helps you articulate their problem sure so one number one ways of getting through depression and feeling in control is knowing what the actual issue is that's all about articulation and number two is writing them down in order and number three is starting to cross those um, that list out in order because that gives your brain the immediate feeling of i'm now in control of my life i'm getting through this that is amazing. Now, the sad thing about mental health, Andrew, is that a lot of people actually start to identify with things like depression. Right. So we get students that um, openly say they're depressed, and that becomes a part of their identity. And inverse, um, in a healthy way of saying, hey, depression is just your mind telling you to get a plan, write a list out, and start going through the list. It's actually a positive. There's no such thing, I should say, as a, a negative or positive emotion your emotions are always just trying to tell you something right and a, a depression is telling yourself to write things down and get control of your life again that's interesting i mean even if i think for myself times when i mean i would never have thought in my life i've ever been clinically depressed mm. but certainly those moments i feel down if i reflect on them it's the moments where i felt like well this is the way it's always going to be and i can't change it absolutely so Johnny, and this has been amazing. I know there's more we can talk about, but like we've gone for an hour easy, and oh, I feel nice. like I know we're about to kind of run out of time on this one. So there's a chance we'll get chopped off by my uh, recording material in two seconds. No, okay, good. So um, <laughs> look, just just quickly too, can you just name the, the the remaining points that we haven't talked about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've gone through stress, anxiety, body um, image, and depression. depression. Yeah. The, the other three or four, I should say, is yep. addiction. Yeah. Um, suicide, which is often stress, anxiety, and depression all linked in together over a long period of time. Okay. Um, discrimination, which is um, actually a lot less about discrimination through sex and a lot more to, about age than even race these days. Okay. So discrimination according to age. And the very last one, number eight, is emotional abuse, um, which is a, a form of bullying, but mostly with inside close relationships, often um, romantic relationships. Okay. This has been a fascinating conversation. I've really, really enjoyed Time's it. Time's flown by. Like. It has flown by. So um, I'm, I'm going to have to talk to you about, about this again. Um, I know at the moment you're talking to a few different psychologists and, and mm. getting stuff together. So um, if anyone's listening to this actually and, and they want to be a part of what you're doing, yeah. uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Ooh, um, I would just say email me at johnny at johnnyshannon.com. And jo Johnny is spelled with J-O-N-N-Y, Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-O-N. Cool, Johnny at johnnyshannon.com. Mm -hmm. Johnny, this has been awesome. Thanks for your time, man. Mate, it's been great. High five for the microphone. <laughs> so that's it. Episode number one with uh, Johnny Shannon. johnnyshannon.com if you want to get him to come and speak at your school uh, or if you're a mental health professional and you want to be a part of this um, uh, book that he's preparing, um, talking about the main mental health issues for young people in New Zealand and Australia, then uh, please contact him via his website there as well. Um, for myself though, thank you for tuning in. If you got all this way to the end of it, then well done you. It started off being a, hey, we'll have a 30 minute conversation and then an hour later, here we are. Um, but I do appreciate it. If you've got any feedback or uh, thoughts that you want to send through, questions for future topics or whatever, um, send them through to the Andrew Curtis Show the Andrew Curtis show at gmail.com. Um, but otherwise, I do thank you again for listening and um, here's to a lot more of these really interesting conversations in future. Until we talk again, have a great week. Don't call it a comeback. I've been
been here for years. 